HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on some essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that are going to help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. This week, I'm talking with Hampton Honeycutt from Liza Motors. I met Hampton back this summer when I was at the World Deer Expo in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, he had a product that I was looking around and hoping to see there at the expo, and that was e-bikes. Now, the e-bike market can seem kind of flooded these days, but you know what? I think as hunters, we can look at an e-bike and immediately see how that would be beneficial to our hunting, whether we hunt on private land, public land, big parcel, small parcel, whatever it is, it's immediately obvious that an e-bike would be awesome for your hunting. But there's a catch. E-bikes come with a pretty hefty price tag, especially if you want to get one of the ones that's made for heavy-duty off-road use, uh, one of the ones that you're not going to have to worry about being left out in the rain or crossing a creek in it or getting some mud or gunk junked up in the motor. And, uh, you know, Liza Motors fits the bill. In this episode, Hampton and I talk about, you know, why bring this product to the market right now, what makes them stand apart from some of the other bikes that are out there, as well as just some of the benefits to having one of these bikes personally, how it can make you a better and more efficient hunter. Now, I had the opportunity to use one of these e-bikes for a couple of weeks this summer, and man, let me tell you, they perform flawlessly. If you have questions about it, I know I mentioned it during the show, but do reach out to Hampton or reach out to me as well. I'd be more than happy to fill you in on my experience with a Liza Motors e-bike. Before we get into the show, I do just want to say a few things. Number one, if you're not already following us on Instagram, please go do that at how to hunt deer and while you're at it if you haven't left us a review please go and do that as well that helps a ton and if you can leave a written review even better also want to say thanks to the sponsors of this show who help make it possible first of all tacticam they're the title sponsor of the show they're the makers of the best point of view cameras for outdoorsmen their new 6.0 and solo extreme cameras will help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them like you're right back in the moment and even better so you can share those memories with friends and loved ones when you get back to camp or when you get back home or whatever it is. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K 60 frame per second footage, 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, one touch operation. You get all this in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released the Solo Extreme camera. 
and that gives you a lot of the features that you love from other Tacticam cameras like one-touch operation, HD footage, waterproof housing, but it's in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at Tacticam.com. Pick one up today and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. They are making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. We're now getting into the late season. And so you really need to go check out their new Heat Boost line of clothing. For years, I walked around in clothing that was saggy, baggy, bulky, and heavy during the late season. No more now that I'm using their Heat Boost line. I'm currently rocking the Saskatoon pants, the Saskatoon jacket, and the Saskatoon vest. And that is all that I need to get me down honestly into the upper teens now with that i haven't had to add a lot of other layers so uh you know i plan on pushing that just a little bit as i get into the late season now i am still wearing the tarnan pattern now i've been using the tarnan pattern since september uh and believe it or not it is still keeping me concealed i think that's the best pattern in their lineup but hey go to their website figure out for yourself which pattern you think is going to work best for where you are i do highly recommend the tarnan pattern their website is huntworth gear Dot com. Also, Deer Lab is the number one app for hunters and land managers to help you store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck not only this fall, but as we get into winter and the late season. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, where you can learn more about all their awesome features and to sign up for your 30-day risk-free trial. They're not going to ask for your credit card, so there's literally no risk to you. When you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNT. Deer, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. And last but certainly not least, this episode is brought to you by the OnX Hunt app. There is no other tool, no other piece of hunting equipment that I use more than my OnX Hunt app. OnX gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and a ton of tools that help you hunt smarter as we get into late season and sort of begin to look into some post-season scouting, I'm really starting to dig their elevation exaggeration feature. That has allowed me to take some of the flatter pieces that I really like to hunt in places like southern Wisconsin and southern Alabama and really begin to dissect those properties. In fact, it's that feature that helped me find the spot where I killed my buck in Wisconsin this fall. If you're not already using Onyx, you can try it free for seven days. Just find them on the app store of your choice or head to their website, Onyx Maps. Now let's get into this week's episode talking about e-bikes with Hampton Honeycutt from Liza Motors. All right, for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I've got my buddy Hampton Honeycutt on from Liza Motors. Hampton, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So we met back during the summer at the World Deer Expo in Birmingham, Alabama, because you had a product that I was walking around and hoping to see, but I didn't see a lot of. And uh, you had a mm-hmm. bunch of e-bikes sitting there. And I immediately stopped and I said, here's what I need to know. How do I get one of these things without my wife finding out? And you didn't, <laughs> right. yeah. you, you didn't have a good answer for me. No, I can't hide you, sir. And, uh, you're, you're not alone. But yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. How, how, often, how often do you get guys that come up and they're like, hey, man, can you talk my wife into this? Oh, it's a going joke. If they didn't allow women in the expos, we'd sell twice as many bikes. But, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're not alone there. I mean, they're, uh, sometimes they're a good governor to keep you from going purchase crazy. But, yeah, you'd be surprised, man. I've had, I've sold bikes to just women, too. I mean, it's. Sure. Like, sure. I sold two, two bikes to a lady that they were like, man, I just love to kill deer. And so, 
it goes both ways. Yep. Yep. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hampton, I'd love to dive into this episode kind of by getting a little bit of a bio on you. Um, one of the things that came out as we talked, I think we hunted some of the same uh, public lands in the central Alabama area. We won't necessarily name those because there's some real good hunting there. Um, but we had some crossover. I used to live in Birmingham for about, I don't know, five or six years, something like that. And so uh, tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and and what you like to do in the outdoors. Yeah, man. So grew up, I kind of cut my teeth in Mississippi, you know, granddad hunted, father hunted, and they had some, uh, they had a big camp down there in Grenada. And so just kind of inched my way into it that way and, you know, started gun hunting at a really young age, then got into bow hunting and then really, really got into bow hunting. It's kind of the challenge of it. You know, I, you know, I love deer meat and I, I love the, and I love the idea behind getting out in the woods and the, you know, just kind of wholesome nature of everything. But, you know, the, I, I'm a, I'm a public land hunter, not, I mean, it's almost solely by choice just because you've got such an availability of land like nowadays. And, and, and it's, in my mind, there's nothing harder than going to an unmanicured, you know, unmapped, unwalked piece of land and being able to really go find deer, get on top of the deer and take them with a bow. I mean, gun too, but even more so with a bow. And yeah. And, and man, I'm just all about that kind of challenge. In my mind, there's like no greater uh, satisfaction in, in hunting in my mind. And I've, dry, I've tried all the different games, but turkey hunting's pretty close. But for me, it's just, I, that, that's what, that's what gets me up when it, during the rut. And so right now, just, yeah, I love the public land just cause I can go anywhere. But, um, but yeah, just kind of a running gun hunter. Um, and that's kind of evolved with the sport, but I think all the things, the bikes, the tree saddles, everything, that's just really made it so much more fun. Yeah, man, I, I've got to agree with you. I, well, I, I'll say something I think you'll agree with. I think hunting deer with a bow in the southeast, and I've hunted a couple of different places now, is probably the toughest challenge in in the U.S. when it comes to hunting whitetails. Um yeah. I mean, it is just, it is just really tough. And I, and I think the further Southeast you go, I mean, once you get into Florida, it's like, oh my gosh, how do people even kill deer down there? Like it could, it, it's, it's just, yeah. Really how tough. do you get in a tree big enough though? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So. so, well, man, tell me a little bit about your transition. I mean, you got, you got into bow hunting, began to take it really seriously, then kind of evolved. Were you always kind of a, a mobile hunter or was that kind of an evolution as well? Cause I think that plays into kind of where you're at today with the bikes. Yeah. And so those two, kind, those two are kind of synergies on one another. So as anyone that hunts public or even is a bow hunter or is semi-mobile, the, I mean, you always deal with the, with the problem of weight, just like comfort, you know what I mean? So yeah. you want to be comfortable when you're in there, but you don't want to kill yourself getting out in the woods or sweat to death by the time you get out there. And plus it's just loading on loading your pack, right? There's like a method to structuring how you pack everything and unpack everything so that it's orderly and quick. And, and so I, I really, like I said, I was a, I was a big gun hunter. I didn't really even bow hunt until probably I was in 
I would say like late high school. And then once I got out of college, primarily because my brother had gotten into it so big and it just kind of rubbed off on me. But like I said, the, the limitations that come with bow hunting are really what, what draw me to it because with a gun, you know, you can reach out and touch something 200, 300 yards out pretty, pretty consistently. But with, with a bow, man, 70 yards, that's a poke. Yep. And so it's just like, you got to be even more sensory, more stealthy, more wind conscious. You know what I mean? It just it elevates everything. But, but yeah, like with, with the bikes, you know, and I, and I tell it, and I, I've told you this, and I've told other people this, you don't realize how big of a benefit it is to become that mobile and that quiet until you do it. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe I used to walk this. And it's, it's just, it, that was like, cause I always wanted a bike, but uh, you know, because of the barriers to entry with price point and then finding one and actually getting to use it. I just never pulled the trigger on one. And so that's what kind of stemmed going into the bike business. And like you and, and everyone else, you know, my wife was, she was like, you don't, I got the I got the question of all questions. Are you really going to use that? And so I went. How can I kind of think about this? And so I was going to eventually just get two bikes, sell one, and hopefully pay for my bike. And then when I saw that there was a way to set up a business, and that the barriers to entry were really not true barriers, they just this was just markup that I could, you know, I could find a supplier and actually do this myself and. And the same thing kind of meet a lot of people's needs that were probably in the same boat I was. And so, and still make money doing it. And so it's, um, yeah, those two definitely paired well with each other. Me going into bow hunting, kind of making me look for things that were, you know, what could give me an edge, what could get me in out of the woods. Cause man, I would get to the, I would get to the properties like two and a half hours before sun up. I mean, it'd be like three o'clock in the morning and I'd be getting stuff on my back, packing up my stuff because I knew I was going to, I was going to have to go to the back edge of the property or I was going to have to kind of sneak into some bottom that was really hard to get into. And it was going to take me all day, all morning to get in there. And I wanted to get in there before daylight. Yep. And so, and you've got the whole mm. other hunter competition too. So it's like, you know, if you want the deer bad enough, you got to be the first person on site. And so this kind of, it didn't prevent that whole scenario, but man, did it help. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's, I found myself a few years ago kind of in the same situation and I hit a, I hit kind of a breaking point with this one specific property that I was hunting. I knew I would needed to get all the way back into the back edge, but I also knew the, the guy that owned that property hunted back there as well. Uh, or that the guy that owned the neighboring property uh, hunted also. I didn't think he hunted real close to the property line. So I did what you said, got there super, super early in the morning, did two plus hours of walking in the dark, finally get to my tree, start to climb the tree, and I hear a voice say, "Man, you're you're right on my stand, guy." And I was like, "Oh, you've got to be." Yeah. I like, oh and I was like, no. And so I look around, and he's not shining a light or anything. I'm like, I I don't know. So finally, I just had to say out loud, "I was like, where are you at? Like, what do you? I don't even know where to go from from this point. Like, where are you at?" And he was right on the property line, and so I'd wasted you know an mm-hmm. entire morning getting back into this area. Well, he got down. He was a nice fella. Um, once he realized I wasn't going to just set up right underneath him, he ended up getting down, coming over and talking to me. And turns out he had been hunting that place hard, 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 right on the property line. 
So what I thought was going to be an unpressured area was actually an mm-hmm. extremely pressured area. And so, man, when you have invested two and a half hours of walking, now i got to walk out. So five hours of walking just to find out this, this spot's too pressured. That is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. But then this summer – Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, and, and, and like with me now, right, because this is – I guess this is the part I mentioned out. Like, you know, I just had two little kids, and I got all this stuff in the mix. Like, my opportunities to hunt are more limited now. And so if I've taken a morning, even a good morning, right, I'm like, I know where I'm going to go. I know where the wind's coming from. I can go back in this way, da, 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 da. and then by the time I get there, then I find out there's another dude sitting there, which happens, right? But it's yeah. just like, oh my gosh, this was this was a wasted morning. Yeah. Uh, I only have so many of these right now. And That's so, right. Yeah, it's that whole another limitation, right, of, of availability to hunt, and that that was another reason for the bike too. But but yeah, no, yeah. I'm, well, and you may have four or five of those mornings, right? You got four, five, six mm-hmm. of them in a season. And then for me, the big thing is it got to the point and, and really has gotten to the point where hunting some of these bigger pieces of public where I can really get back in there and get far away from the pressure. Uh, what that means is if I go out for the morning, by the time I get home, it's one o'clock in the afternoon. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a, oh, yeah. such a long walk, which is even more time away from the family. For ju- just hiking yeah. around, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, it oh, just, yeah, just costs a lot more brownie points to, to, <clears throat> to hunt yeah. like that. So, oh, I know. But, but then this summer I got some experience with one of your bikes. I met you at the show. We talked about meeting up, let me, uh, try one out, kind of put it through the paces, do a little bit of a review on it. And man, it was, it was fantastic. And I'm hunting some really rugged terrain in the Northern Georgia not mountains, but definitely like foothills of, you know, some, some mountainous area. And man, Mm -hmm. the, the power surprised me. The, the longevity of the batteries surprised me. Uh, I absolutely love using one of these bikes. And so I, I mentioned before we got on here and started talking, like before I had one of these bikes in my hands, I thought I wanted an e-bike after using Mm -hmm. one for a couple of days, I knew I wanted an e-bike. And definitely need to get my hands on one of yeah. these. But so let's talk a little bit about bringing it to bringing it to the market. There's a there's a lot of options out there today, right? There are lots of different e-bikes. You've mm-hmm. got ones that are made specifically for hunting. You've got ones that aren't made for hunting. Uh, you've got conversion kits that I've seen guys trying to use. What are the specific mm-hmm. problems that you guys were trying to solve by bringing your bike to the market in a space that? I wouldn't say it's flooded, but it's not empty either. Uh-huh. No, that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you get the heavy hitters, quiet cats, the Bokus, the Rambos. And they make great stuff, right? I mean, they're, they've been doing it the longest. Probably Rambos in the market the longest. But, I mean, it's a premium. You're, you're paying a high dollar. And like I said, that barrier to entry is there. It's just a hard pill to swallow when someone says, you know, this is going to be six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand dollars pre-tax. And it's like okay, I could buy a small truck for that. But uh, <laughs> you know the the things that the things that we really wanted, and, and the, one of the reasons we kind of hit it off so well is because you know you cater to what with something that you know it, it may not be bare minimum. It, it could be a, a, an above market, but it is available to the common wealth, right? You don't have to be 
of you don't have to be extremely, extremely wealthy to be able to benefit from this product and really see yourself owning it. And so like for me, I always wanted a bike, but it's too expensive. That was the first barrier. The second barrier is I didn't really know the difference between what I needed and then what I wanted. And so like all of our bikes are they run mid drive motors. Mid drive is the torqueest motor you can have. And where I hunt, I know I want the torque. If I'm going to pay that much money, I want something that can do what I want it to do. And so after doing all this research and talking to people and actually riding a couple of them, we said, you know, we're only going to sell mid drive motors. And if you look at the price threshold, the biggest determining factor is if you're driving a hub drive or a mid-drive motor. Mid-drive is the one that's under the motorbike. And so we wanted to be able to provide everyone with that with that tier of quality, but make it approachable so that everybody could do it. And then you had the problem of this summer talking to a lot of people, and they're going, man, like, like you were, you know, I've always wanted the e-bikes. They're super cool. I can I can visualize how it's beneficial, but then I just don't know if I want to spend that much money on a bike. It's a bike, right? Yep. It's a bike, and yep. so and it's like it's like I, it's like I get it, brother. Like it, it's a bike with this thing that we call a motor, and you know it looks big and beefy, but is it really that beneficial? Like what like what what's different from that than a four wheeler? And then that's why we started the rental side was as kind of a teaser to purchasing, but it's a cheap way to really see, Hey, this is kind of a solid rental bike. But if I were to go and get my own and purchase one that's actually in the market or that we provide, you know, what would be the tangible benefit? Like what, what's going to be the value when I get that? And the guys that have done it have absolutely loved it. Like, man, this was such a good thing. Cause I would say it's like, you know, it'd be like trying a pair of shoes on for a week before you got to, before you had to buy them. And so, it's uh, that's really helped with solving the second problem that's come that we've realized that people because it's expensive, right? I mean, you know, our highest dollar bike is forty six. It'll probably be forty eight this year because we'll put some new things on it, or in twenty twenty three. But our cheapest model is thirty six hundred. So you've got that none none of those numbers are, you know, you can't just throw those around. They're expensive and lose it, but. And compared to the competition, you know, our $4,800 bike, you know, it's going to be $7,000 for one of the name brand guys. And our other one, $36,000, you're going to spend between $5,000 and $5,500 anywhere else you go. And so we solved that problem. But really, you know, I guess on a more personal level, I wanted something that would help me kill, kill deer. I mean, and it just... You know, I wanted I wanted to be that guy that had the edge, you know. And so looking to do this, it's just once you get the bike out there and you realize, man, I've got no sound. I'm 10 pounds more mobile. I can put stuff on it to carry it. And on top of it, it makes, it makes no uh, emission, so there's no scent trail. My scent trail has been reduced to a fraction of what it normally would be because I'm only in a spot for a second versus passing through over the course of a couple minutes. And it's just like, and it doesn't spook deer. You can lay it on the ground. You can put it by a tree. I mean, easy to load, easy to unload. Don't need a trailer. We sell carriers that go in trailer hitches. You can put it in the back of the truck. I mean, it's just, it's the most mobile thing 
a kill deer. And so, or turkeys, really, I mean, the turkeys too, but the, I mean, so we wanted to, we wanted to provide something that actually benefited hunters. It wasn't again, it wasn't just a, you know, team to make money. They actually would use this and have success. And I think it helps them have success. But there was a dude that bought one in Jackson that went to Kansas and he just killed it. Nice. A nice, I think it was a nice eight point, but it was pretty. And, and he was like, man, I had to go across like a whole field. Like I'm talking seven, 700 acre field to get to this thing. It would have taken me all day to walk over there. Wow. Because you can't take trucks. You can't take trucks. And he was like, and I was able to get over there and I was scout. I was able to jump around. And he said it, it may not have been the reason why he killed the deer, but he wouldn't even have been able to get over there had he not had the bike. And so it's just like, I, and then, and then my brother's been, he's had good success this year, you know, and, and I've been getting into, I've been trying to get busy getting the business up and running, but you know, I've been using it every time I go out and it's, uh, okay. Just in summary, it, 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 it does provide that benefit. It has a price that's, that's approachable and it's competitive. No one's got a cheap price. I yeah. mean, just flat out cause we're not, we're not as big. So we can sell it cheaper and make just as much money as they can. Yeah. But, uh, so, so the price is there, the quality's there. I mean, we've had guys that I've got some some uh, farmers that live at the base of Appalachian, kind of like where you or you're at maybe when you go in Georgia. Yep. And I mean, like I was telling you earlier, the guy that we sold it to, that they run a seven thousand acre farm. He was like, man, when you get to Nashville at that thing, call me. I'll sit up there for free and vouch for how solid these bikes are. I didn't ask him to do that. He just said, he said, these things are that cool. And it's, you know, that's, I mean, in my mind, that's a satisfied customer. And so the, yeah. like, it's like, and so it's, and I don't even need to sell it. And that's the funny thing is, is, you know, there's all these question marks because it's expensive. Could you use it? But I'm telling you, everyone that has put that bike, sat on it, taken it in the woods, has come out going, oh my gosh, this is, and you wouldn't think that because it's a bike. Like at the end of the day, it is a bicycle, but you know, once you actually put it into practice, like you did, you're like, Oh man, eventually, maybe not this year, but this is the next box to check on the hunting thing, things to have for hunting. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with a 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. You know, as somebody who hunts primarily public land, uh, I spend a lot of time scouting and even hunting early season before, you know, gun hunts start to open up. Uh, hunting behind locked gates, which is really, really frustrating on a lot of these WMAs that they don't open the gates for bow hunting. They only open them up for gun hunting. I get why they do it. But man, some of these WMAs that I'm hunting behind that locked gate is a four or five mile road. 
and I mm-hmm. feasibly cannot get to the I, I can't walk that in time. Like you, you, mm-hmm. I, I don't care who you are. You're not going to show up at midnight to walk four miles to get to where you're going and climb a tree. You know what I mean? To try right. to get in before, before daylight. Uh, and you're also not going to cover that distance. You know, sun goes down at six thirty something, you know, whatever you're going to walk four and a half miles out, five miles out. No, nah, I don't think so. Nah. So at that mm-hmm. this is absolutely huge for the WMA hunter who, you know, maybe you're not doing anything crazy when you get into the timber. Like maybe you're not walking a mile through the timber, but it just allows you to get three, four miles down that road behind the gate away from the pressure because other guys are going to park their mm-hmm. truck right there at the gate and they're going to walk 500 yards and then pop into the woods. Whereas you're able to really get back in there. And, you know, I'm thinking when I, when I had your bike, actually, I put out a bunch of trail cameras. Uh, so I'm going to have to get my hands on one sooner than later. Cause I've not checked those trail cameras. Because they're 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 literally miles behind the gate, um, uh-huh. so yeah, I, I will not be uh, I will not be getting those until uh, until I get a bike or you know get a full day to devote to walking you know ten or so miles to get get these things out of the woods. But man, turkey hunting too. Like if you're a public land turkey hunter, oh, I can man. see where this is just going to be huge. I mean, deer hunting is obvious. You've got the trailers. Can you throw a deer yeah. on one of your trailers? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. and see, the, that's the thing. It confuses people because they're like, I don't understand it's a bike. And it's like, well, the, our trailers, they're, they're like a multifunction. They offer like a deer cart. And so you would cart your deer. Let's say if you shoot it and run into a bottom or run, it's trying to find some water. So it's going there, gets in a thicket. You put it on the cart, pull it to the road, and then the bike is, or a flat spot. And then the bike is, and then it's got enough torque that you can get going and I mean, they can, you, you can, I mean, the, the trailers are geared to carry about 250 to 260 pounds. So yeah, the, I mean, you could put a, you could put a massive thing on it, but you know, just going back to the, the, the actually, you know, we mentioned a lot about public land because me and you both am our public land and we enjoy the challenge, but even like, so I met a man that's where he's a publisher, but he works with Mafios and he's done a bunch of other, uh, Striker and TBA and stuff. He's done a lot of advertising with them. He's an older guy named John Goldson. And, you know, through him, he really means he's an older guy. And I didn't even realize this. And going to all these expos, there's an aging portion of the population of the sport. You know, the guys that are in their late 50s, pushing 70s, that it's like when we say walk three or four miles, that's not even an option. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much like I don't want to do that. It's, it's, I can't go 500 yards. You know, I need something like that. That's a lot for me. And so, you know, with everything, money kind of helps drive and it creates the, you know, kind of the status quo of, of you know, how the, how the WMAs are upkept, you know, how everything's maintained, the availability of spaces. Cause sometimes they'll shut a space down just cause they don't have the, means or the funds to manage it and so uh, i've seen that in mississippi and so with giving the older population uh, or uh, i says our hunting seniors another option to stay in the sport longer and mentor because i mean that's how people get into it you don't just wake up and decide you're a hunter yeah like we, like you you learn through your dad you probably learned through his granddad or you learn through an uncle or someone that was close to you yep. in your, while you were growing up and I mean, that's just, and especially with technology and stuff today, I mean, 
if you don't have that older mentor, man, hunting's going to die out in two or three generations. And so, well, maybe not two or three, but let's say 10, 10 generations. And so it does, I mean, it helps fund, it can help fund these management organizations that, you know, do help manage the deer population and make it better for everybody. I know we get mad about game wardens and all that stuff, but, you know, without them, there would be issues, right? No one's going to argue that. There'd be poaching over kills, all this stuff. But, you know, someone's got to pay them and someone's got to upkeep all these areas. And the way they do that is through these kickbacks to the federal government for licensing. Well, if they can't go out there and hunt, they're not going to buy a license. And so they're not going to buy the things that get taxed and earmarked as sportsmen. And so through John, we've been trying to create an initiative with Alabama to try to loosen up some of the e-bike laws on, on uh, public land, just so that people like the WMA is primarily just so that the older generation, and there's been a lot, there's some pushback. I get it. Cause it's changed and anything you change, anything, someone's not going to like it, but the idea is we're coming from a good spot because we really do want, I want my son to have the same opportunities that I have say hunt certain areas and get the exposure to that just as anyone else's kid should too. And, and I think that these bikes could be a big motivational factor, you know, an incentive to keep these older guys hunting on. And honestly, that's one of the reasons we even started the rental bike thing was, you know, we were trying to, we wanted to have that entry level for people, but we also wanted for people that couldn't afford it, right. They, they, they would love to have a bike. They know they'd love it, but they can't, you know, they just can't, that's a lot of money to them. And so, but it's like, Hey, over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, if you're going on that once in a lifetime hunting trip, you know, you can, you can budget this and it's affordable and you still get the benefit. So, I mean, in a way, everyone can still utilize some, some aspect of this tool. And so that with older hunters, cause I talked to so many guys man. they're just like, they're like, you know, I've got this knee. One guy, this is kind of a crazy story too. This was in Alabama at the deer, deer world. And so, uh, he came up and he was talking, he's a big guy. Like, I mean, he's just big human being. And so he was talking to me, asking me questions about it. And he said, well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what all the, regulations are and stuff, but you know, they usually, whatever I, I do, the game ones have already cut, but they kind of cut me slack and I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I looked down and he had two fake legs. What? Like from the knee down, from the knee down. And I was like, you still hunt? He's like, Oh yeah. I mean, he said it's hard, but I still get back there because he kept asking me about how much torque the bike would have and if you would have to pedal. And then it all like made sense. I was like, oh, because he said, you know, I don't have ankles. They're fit. It's a fixed, you know, oh. thing. And so, and I was like, I didn't even think about that, man. And I was like, man, this would just change your hunting. This would change your whole hunting experience. And he yeah. was like, yeah, you know, I pretty much have to hunt. I pretty much have to hunt like 50 yards, 100 yards from my truck. And so, wow. I mean, and then it just, and that was kind of the, Seeds of the idea, and then when I met with John, you know, he was a big, big advocate in it because he, I mean, he falls into that category as well. And so, like I said, I, I mean, business is for profit. Don't hide that aspect at all. But I do think that they're we're coming from a good spot because we're not solely profit driven. You know, we want we want people to keep the sport alive because it is a dying hobby. Unfortunately, the truth of it. 
you know, just few, there's fewer and fewer, fewer new hunters replacing hunters that are getting out of the sport that just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And so whether it's public land, private land, age, I mean, I think this thing just applies to pretty much anybody. I mean, private land hunters, you've got free range, you can do whatever you want. The, but even the, the guys that hunt public, like, you know, I think it, it's going to extend the sport's life so much longer. If we can just, hopefully if I can get, get all this stuff up and running and keep it going and growing the way it is. And anyway, not the soapbox, but yeah, I just wanted to segue before we jumped over that, that, you know, there is an aging group that's not just limited and wanting to do something. They're, they're limited in the physical capabilities of being able to do stuff too. Yeah, man, that that's huge. That's huge. One more thing that, 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 that kind of brought up as we shifted, you know, kind of, not just for public land guys, but also private land guys. Like I'm thinking about the guy who's maybe got 20 acres, you know, or just a small property or something like that, or somebody who doesn't want to drive their truck through their property a lot. Having a bike Mm -hmm. can really minimize your disturbance on a small property. Um, Like you said, the ground scent that you're leaving when you zip through a place on an e-bike is very different than if you walk through there um, and I feel like the level of disturbance is just different. I mean, I drove up, I was driving one of the roads here on, on the bike when I had it and, uh, drove right up on a doe and a fawn bedded on the side of the road. Now, when I, when I got there and kind of slowed down, they jumped up and ran off, but they didn't care. Like I, I wasn't bothering them. I guarantee you, if I'd been walking, they would not have liked it. You know, they would have, they oh, they would have seen you, they, and they would have seen you a hundred yards out. I mean, the, and the crazy thing is, is, and that's what we kind of with the conservation department, you know, it's looked at like a dirt bike. And after using it, you can understand it's not the same. You can't do with a dirt bike. You can, you can tear up habitat, right? You can, you can go over stuff or you can just rip things up. But with a bike, it's a different kind of power. And it's, yep. it's still powerful and it can take you places, but it's not powerful enough rip things up and and so the you know the biological impact of it is like non-existent it, it's about the same as if you're walking honestly and then you know the noise and all that it's and like you said it it really doesn't matter the size actually I, i'd say it's probably even more beneficial on a smaller acreage lot because you know if you drive a truck through it there's nothing in that 10 20 acres that's not going to know you just drove a truck yeah. or a four-wheeler even a four-wheeler you don't realize how loud a quad is or oh a ranger gosh. or something until like i got a there's a dude that just bought um one of our our valley bikes and he sent me a gopro video of him using it and he was riding through a cornfield but there was a ranger that was riding beside him for a little while before he took off and went ahead of him and you're just sitting there going, man, that sounds so loud. And then when he's literally pedaling, the only thing you can hear is his boot squeaking on the, on the pedal. Like that's it. <laughs> and it's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize like that's the perfect contrast, but yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think this, this applies even more so I think to like a small track owner that's really looking to, Hey, I just want something that I can park from the backside or the front side of my property, but still be able to get to the back side of my property yep. and not wake up everything in between. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. 
One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. This episode is brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com now for your free 30-day trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to purchase, you can use the code WISCONSIN, all caps, at checkout for 20% off of any of their plans. I've hunted properties where four-wheelers have been banned during hunting season, and everyone on the property is required either access by foot, but most of the guys there used electric golf carts. Now, that's a whole other yeah. whole other rabbit hole, but, man, I mean, just the the peacefulness on that property and the impact that they have said that it has had on the deer movement is huge. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if you're on here's a hunting the, camp and – Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just yeah, going to say go, that you go and finish your the impact of, of being on a property, you know, if you've got 100 acres, let's say, and they hear that quad crank up at the front, and then you rip right through it or down the side of it even, and then it stops and runs idle for a second, and then it turns off, like everything knows exactly where you're at. You know, it's, you're, mm-hmm. not, you're not being stealthy at that point. No, I mean, at that point, you're just trying to be either you're trying to do something for convenience or you're doing it out of habit. And, you know, for the golf cart comparison, because we went through this in the in the modeling of the business, it's like, okay, golf cart, even a mildly, you know, a used golf cart for hunting or something, $10,000. Oh, yeah. You got to have a you got to have a trailer to pull it around. Yep. Right. You can't just pick it up and move it. You got to let your trailer down. You got to back it out. You got to put your stuff on it. Bikes, even our top, top line bikes, like I said, 46, 4,800, you know, you can move it yourself. You can load it and unload it from your truck. You don't need a trailer. Like you can keep a, tr- a deer cart in the back of your truck or your SUV, whatever. More comfortable to ride a golf cart. But I mean, your just your footprint is going to be so much larger. Your noise is going to be so much longer, larger. The the effort to move it to a spot, and some guys might say, you know, well, I've got a hunting camp. I just leave it up there. And it's like, true, that that's true. But I guarantee you, you're not going to be as stealthy on a on that. And you could buy two bikes for the price of probably two and a half bikes for the price of that that golf cart. Yeah. And so it's, it's a trade-off, right? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's probably the most comparable thing to the bike itself is, are those little bad, uh, I, I forgot what they're called. I think they're bad boy buggies or something like that. But, uh, they're there, there's all kinds just like there are bikes, yeah. but, but yeah, the, I, and the presence with the bike is just so much smaller. Like with a golf cart, you run over stuff. I mean, you mess it up, right? Like yep. you, people are going to know that you just drove a golf cart through there. With a bike, I mean, you're doing nothing more than if you were walking through it. Yep, and the size of trail you can get on. I mean, I I drove 
that bike down just some really dim old logging trails that you would never mm-hmm. get anything on. And I was able to take one of them I took for like a mile, you know, along this edge of these planted pines and got way back in there. And you would never would have done that on a on a golf cart. But anyways, well, man, let's yeah. let's shift gears and talk a little bit about your product line. You guys have two different bikes, is that right? We got three. Three different bikes. Okay. Walk me through mm-hmm. each of those and kind of um, maybe how some of that lines up with state regulations. Cause I know there's probably some guys who are starting to wonder like, Hey, you know, my state has this kind of maximum or whatever for this kind of public land or Hey, on, on this kind of land, mm-hmm. I can only go up to this, you know, power, you know, so walk me through some of that. So, so I'll start from kind of our lowest and walk up to our highest, um, from a price point anyway. So we have our Valley bike which is also our rental bike that we use. And the reason we use this is because that thing is just a juggernaut. Like, it can take a lick, and, I mean, that is just just a BD bike. But the, they all have 1,000-watt mid-drive motors. They're Bafang 1,000-watt mid-drive motors. So that's going to have about 160 newtons of torque, which I know a lot of people can go, I don't know what a newton is. The, it, that's, that's just how they grade the torque. But essentially, that's as much as you can get on any public land anywhere in, in most any bikes. And if you go anything bigger than that, it goes from a bike to an actual dirt bike. It's a electric dirt bike at that point. And they don't have the same function, but the, the Valley, it's got a four inch tire, you know, it's got a small waterproof, um, you know, display that you can use to change all things. But all the bikes that I'm going to go through the, the Valley, the Delta and the Appalachian, they all have what they call is a stage three or, or three series. It's, you know, the first one is just pedal assist only. So when you pedal, you can, um, the bike automatically puts power to the pedal and you can determine what level of power you want. And they go from one to five. So imagine each have 200 Watts behind them. So if you run in level two, that's up to 400 Watts. And then you get in the level one is any bike that will go under 28 miles an hour, um, which in my mind, that's probably going to be something at like a 500 watts, maybe 700 if it's a hub drive. And then you have the stage twos, which all mine are there. Like I said, they're all three stage threes, but stage two are the, just the pedal assist, but those go above 28 miles an hour or they have the capability to go 20 above 28 miles an hour. Then you have the stage threes and the stage threes have a pedal assist and a throttle. So essentially you can throw power straight to the wheel without needing to pedal. So they all have default pedal assist that you can determine the power levels, but they do have a progressive throttle that, you know, you push down the throttle further, more wattage is thrown to the, to the motor. And like I said, the, the two types of batteries that, or motors that you can get on bikes that kind of determine price point are hub drives versus mid drives. Hub drives are cheap, so they're affordable, but they're prone to, um, they can get kind of corrupted a little bit and get water in them. And those, uh, think about it, they're just, they're driven off of inertia. So just as a shotgun recocks on a semi-auto, this kind of throws itself forward and that's how it propels itself. With a mid-drive, that's actually turning your, your sprocket in the middle of the bike. So you're actually, you're, you're actually tangibly turning a physical sprocket. That's why there's so much more torque with a mid-drive. 
and that's and the hub drive is held inside one of the tires, either the front or the back. The mid drive is in the center of the bike, which I like because it keeps you centered because they're not super heavy, but they do have some weight behind them. Yep. But it also keeps the wet the tires pretty weighted evenly, so you never really lose traction or feel like because you know some people say, well, I've got an all wheel drive bike. It's got two hub drives in front. One in the front, one in the back. And it's like, okay, well, have you ever driven up a hill with that? Because the issue is, is think about it. If you've got something that's pulling you, but as you turn your wheel in the front or have to go over a bump, let's say you turn it and it's pulling, it pulls your wheel to the left. I mean, you're going down. I mean, there's no, mm-hmm. it's just, it's hard to be stable on hills. Yep. On flat ground, it's okay. But anyway, that's why we didn't do, that's why we didn't offer that bike. But, like I said, the valley and the, the difference between, and then we have the, so that's the valley. It's the thousand watt, four inch tire, all in case motor. And then you have the Delta, which is a step up from that. Same thousand watt motor. Um, it's got the difference between the Delta and the valley. The Delta has a little bit nicer electronics. So it's like the stage two of the electronics. Gotcha. The price point between the two is only about $300. And that's literally the difference is just, it's got a nicer LCD screen. It's got a little bit nicer uh, power level um, toggle. It's, it's just the electronic side of it's a little bit better. Um, same size motor, and the shocks are a little bit more beefy, but you know it, it's not enough to to really tell a, a noticeable difference. But they are a little upgraded. And then you go from there. Oh, and then the battery's a little bit bigger. So on the on the Delta, you've got a 15 amp battery, or on the I'm getting my bike confused. On the Valley, you have a 15-amp battery. On the Delta, you have a 17-amp battery. So you have a little bit more life to your battery. Okay. Then what, you have our nicest bike. What does that kind of translate to, j- just for guys listening, what does that kind of translate to that 2-amp difference as far as, like, real-world riding? Would that be, you know, I mean, I know it, it depends on terrain, but is it another 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour? That is, so... That's a good question because that's probably like the second most asked question that I get. It's all relative, right? Yep. It depends on how you ride it, but um, and and you can that. I mean, you can if you stay holding hundred percent throttle, never pedal, you burn through your battery so much faster. In that instance, two amps will get you probably like another mile, maybe if you're just sitting there holding on the whole throttle. But if you're conserving for when you need the power that can get you substantially more than that because like I, when I say substantially more, maybe two and a half miles. So if I'm going and I know I'm on a flat road and I only need a level one, so I only need 200 amps of power right now. I can, I can move my power level down and just lightly pedal, right? It's still effortless, but just lightly pedal, use no power, you know, and stretch that thing out. But then if I hit a hill, I can downshift and then I can put it in power level five and go up the hill. So it's, it really depends on where you're riding, but let's say just for sense of com- or purpose for conversation, it's about a mile. Say it's another mile to two mile difference, right? Okay. The and so you've got thousand watt mid drive, fifteen amp hours, thousand watt mid drive, seventeen amp hours, and then you have our bigger bike, which is the Appalachian. And this this is the bike that you use. This is my bike. Oh, this so thing is a beast. That, this it's thing, a big bike. It is it, amazing. It is absolutely amazing. It's a big, but you don't realize how big it is until you're standing beside it. And yep. it's 
it looks like a dirt bike when you're, it feels like a dirt bike when you're standing beside it. But then when you sit on it, it feels like a typical bike. I mean, we run five inch tires on it. Like I said, thousand watt mid drive. And like I said, the reason we run a thousand watt mid drive is because usually if there is a cutoff, the cutoffs are 750 watts or thousand watts. And so this is kind of that, that hard threshold of, you know, if it's over the thousand, then there's no way. Right. So that's why that was as high as we could go and that that still be accepted. But, uh, but we're introducing a 750 watt, but I'll get to that later. And then, so with the Appalachian, it's got the same electronics as the Delta does, but instead of running 17 amp hours, it has two 15 amp hour batteries. So really actually they're 15.6 amp hours. So that's really like 31 and 0.2 amp hours of battery life, which is huge. I mean, if you look at any bike out there, they don't run. I mean, they might run 25, some, I, but I haven't seen another one that I know of. And I could be mis- misspoken, but um, I don't know another one that, that runs 30 amp hours. And that determines, like we were talking about, the longevity of that battery, like yeah. how far can you really go with it? And you can go a long way if you use the battery wisely. Now it's a heavy bike. I mean, which helps with traction and stuff, but you know, you, with that extra battery, it's not, it doesn't hinder you. Like if, if you were running the Appalachian on 17 amp hours, that weight difference would, would make, would, that would impact you. But because you've got 30 over 30 amp hours, it's, I mean, you can afford to hold down the throttle or run it in a four or five level all day and it not really, you not get stuck out in the woods because you ran out of power. Yep. And so it's uh, and it's just, it's a big frame. It's meant for, you know, I usually tell people if you're over 200 pounds, you're going to be, you're going to be more comfortable probably. And if you're over six feet, you're probably going to be more comfortable in the Appalachian. But I say that I've got guys that, you know, like I said, a lot of these farmers in Mississippi, one guy, the guy, the Kansas guy, um, you know, he's like six, four, six, five, maybe. And he bought the Delta bike and he loves it. He loves it. And then another dude, um, farmer out of, uh, I mean, he's a muscle, muscly guy. And, uh, you know, he, he's perfectly comfortable on the, on the Delta bike. And so it's, it's really your own preference, but just as a rule of thumb, like I say, bigger people, it's just a bigger bike overall. The frame's bigger and it's meant for a heavier rider. Yeah. Yeah. And man, when I, when I had one, I put it through the paces. Like I was not taking it easy on it. Um, it handled hills really, really well. It handled, I mean, I drove through some areas that had been pine timber that had been cleared and I'm, was able to go over, you know, smaller logs. I'm not jumping big logs or anything like that, but like, you know, smaller logs that had fallen over a logging road or something like that. I was able to pop right over those super, super sturdy. And yeah, like you said, it's a little bit heavy, but you notice that when you're on it, uh, it provides you a lot of stability going up and down hills and that kind of thing. And man, the battery, I got after it. Like I did not, the first time out, I didn't pedal at all. I just went full on, you know, um, throttle. And I mean, I drained it and I, did, I actually hadn't charged it sufficiently before I went out. One thing that I noticed that was kind of cool is once I, had, I mean, I killed the battery all the way to almost, I mean, it was, it was just about done, done as far as the throttle goes. But then once I 
quit with the throttle and just started pedaling, the pedal assist would still kick in. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Like, like it still had enough juice to help me. And I made it almost all the way out just doing that. And I killed it on purpose. Like this was an, this was full on experiment. You know what I mean? I was, I was, yeah. I was doing this to try to see how far I could push it, but I was pleasantly surprised. Like, man, I can still pedal, you know, and right. it still kicks in. And, that, and that's kind of the thing. And that's the whole thing, right? And I tell everyone that buys these things. I'm like, you know, as you ride it, you're going to get better at stretching out the battery because you're going to know when I need to, when I need to up power level, when I can back off, like how I can be sneaky with it. And when I say that, so the, our, our high level bike has a really high, high end. Um, it's got a high end hub in the back that you see in like high dollar mountain bikes. And so this hub acts as a form of its own inertia because it has a ratcheting effect that throws the tire forward, but it clicks, right? But the way to disengage that click is what I found is you can just barely touch the disc brake, right? Just barely touch the back disc brake and move, turn the power level to zero. So the motor quits turning and just slowly pedal and you're absolutely quiet. I mean, you literally make, you are a ninja. You make no sound. And I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, and that's just getting used to riding it. I mean, that was, and, and, you know, like you were saying, if you do run low, you can push it. You can run it on a low power level. Yep. Downshift, right? And then the motor will get back into, cause it's got to have enough wattage to throw or enough power to throw like a thousand watts if you wanted to do that. Usually you only get into that threshold when you're below like, I don't know, when you're below like less than 10%. So then that kind of limits you from going into the thousand, oh, the yeah. thousand wattage. But yeah, yeah, I mean. I pushed it all the way down to like five. So <laughs> I, I really got after it. But we had talked in it, you know, I'd, I'd wanted to really put it through its paces as much as possible so that I could, you know, recommend it as easily as, as possible. So Tell me a little bit about the the rental side of things because to me that's really interesting and I don't see anybody else doing that. I know. I know. We were kind of shocked. Um, and to be honest with you, I can't I'm not gonna take a hundred percent credit for the idea because I think it was kind of a culmination of a lot of conversations with people. And, you know, like, you know, my business partner, he's my brother, he's he's in Tupelo, but you know, he was like, I don't, I don't know about this, man. Uh, you know, are we kind of going too many ways at once? But looking back, it was, it's a great, it was a great decision because it allows people the risk. It, it's a risk-free investment, right? You haven't locked your money up into thousands, thousands of dollars. And then you know, one way or another, if you really want a bike or not, it's, it's that test run, you know, but the, and it's risk free. I mean, the, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, right now we run them for forty bucks a day. We do certain discounts based on time rentals or the number of bikes. But you know, people have loved it because they they really get a chance to use the bike and see what it's worth. And and you know, the bikes that we rent our Valley bikes. And like I said, that's that's kind of the the lowest tier of our bike, but it's still just as capable. I mean, like the bike you had is going to be the most comfortable. I mean, that's just you know, the biggest, baddest bike we have, but the, I mean, the Valley does just about the same stuff. It's just not going to be the tip top, not, not like the most capable like that is, but, but, you know, we got into it 
we're still building our fleet out. And we're trying to figure out you know, uh, where to offer these to make you know more um, reachable and, and easier off and pickup standpoint. But uh, but yeah, we we started a rentals um, a website to kind of help accommodate that so people could use it remotely and you know they can see if there's any availabilities in the area because the idea is. Like, right, you got turkey season coming around. And, man, if there is a if there is a uh, e-bike hunter, it is a turkey hunter. Yep. So, I mean, they they don't even – I mean, there's no selling meat at the turkey hunters. They're just like, oh, I know. I know about it, man. You don't have to You don't have to tell me. I've already – I already know. I probably know more about it than you do. And I say, I don't doubt that. But, uh, like, the guy that – the Tallahassee guy that had the dry hunt, um, you know, he told me, he said, the only reason I deer hunt is because I can't shoot turkeys right now. And I went – I respect that. And he said, <laughs> you know, he said, but, uh, you know, me and my brother, we've been in the market for a long time and we've always wanted one of these, but, uh, but you know, the price point. And I said, I know it's crazy. I mean, they're almost, it's almost counterintuitive, right? They make it so expensive that they're limiting their reach. And I don't know if there's really a reason for it, but the rental lights kind of solve all that. And then plus, if you don't ever want to buy a bike, I got guys that just take trips, right? And they said, you know, we go to Nebraska for two weeks every year we just turkey hunt or you know we go out to kansas for a week every year and we go deer hunt. we have the same we go to the same property or we go to the same camp and you know you can't take a four-wheeler you can't take a truck but they'll let you take a bike and it's that market right that the guys are like i'd love to buy one but i would only use it once or twice a year and so it's that uh, you know it's kind of like it's it's always great to have a friend that has a boat you just never want to have a boat. And <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. And, and so it's, it's kind of the same ticket, but in a way, you know, that, and then the older population, we just found that it checked so many boxes and it's not the most, honestly, it's not the most profitable, um, business model because it takes a while to recoup the, the rental, like, cause the bikes aren't cheap and, and keeping them and getting all that stuff for it. But, you know, like I said, it does meet the need of that other side of the market that's either, you know, aware of the cost or it just doesn't have the usage for it, but would love to be able to, to have one for certain things. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think all in all, it's going to help the branding and it's going to help people get our name out there and really get like, hopefully if enough people start riding e-bikes and become not very political, but do if there's ever a chance to, to mention that you would like to have these within public grant grounds more, you know, or have them more accessible within public land that would, um, you know, that I think that can't do anything but help it. Cause there's some pushback just cause people don't want change. But when you go through the pros and cons, there's very, very few cons just because the, the biological one is the biggest one, but I mean, you can attest, you really don't, it's not the same as a, as a truck or a four wheeler. It's just, it's just not. And until you use one, and that's the funny thing when you talk to people that make these decisions, they will have you, have you used one on the woods? And I'll go, no, we haven't. Uh, no one I know has really used one. It's like, well, you don't know it, man. Then you just, you can't, it's hard to understand what it's like. And so I, I make it sound like, like it's crazy, but it, it, it is, it is pretty awesome how, how much these really, really do change kind of the landscape of hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So man, tell me, tell me what's, what's coming up next. I mean, we're getting into the Christmas season, 
maybe there's some folks with a Liza Motors e-bike, you know, underneath the tree. But what's uh, what what can we look forward to with the uh, coming of turkey season and all that? Was that comment aimed at your wife? Uh, <laughs> maybe Liza my entire motorbike. extended family. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I don't care who uh, it comes from. That's right. That's right. Santa could be nice. The, um, <laughs> so we, so we talked about this earlier. We're, we're trying to get a table up in Nashville for the national wildlife turkey federation. And we think we have one. We just haven't hundred percent locked down which one yet, but we'll put that out online. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a website for all our purchases and that we're running the rentals through kind of as a band aid. but that's, uh, www.lizamotors.com and Liza we may do a DBA to change that name at some point, but it's L E I S E motors, all one word. But the, you know, we had kind of a, um, a tour of expos last year just to fill out the market. And, you know, we'll definitely be back in Jackson this year. We're going to go to the Montgomery Buckmasters. We missed that one last year just because COVID I got COVID at the last second and, it just, I was in Dallas for doing a business thing and then came back and anything that could have gone wrong, got wrong, but we're going to be there this year. And then we'll be back in Birmingham. Uh, we're going to try to find a couple more in between now and then, but we can, but uh, we can definitely get our footholds in the market. We would love to find another one in Mississippi, maybe Tennessee. Um, you know, my, my partner in, in uh, Tupelo kind of wants to go into Arkansas. Um, that's not, when I think of Arkansas, I think of ducks, but I still know there's a lot of deer hunters out there and a lot of turkey hunters, and that's kind of the entry level to the to the Midwest, and so maybe Missouri or something. But right now, like I like I mentioned, uh, as we've spoken before, we kind of want to stick to the southeast. We're a southeast company. We hunt here. Um, this is kind of our stomping ground, and and that was one reason why the brand was founded is because there just wasn't anything offered like this in the Southeast, not, not for a hunting application or an off-road application. So we wanted to kind of be the first to break that market. And, and we want to be, you know, we're Southerners. We want to, we want to, it's not like we're only selling to Southerners, but you know, this is, these are the guys we hunt around. These are the lands that we hunt on. So we really want everyone to benefit here first, but you know, welcome to, whoever wants to buy a bike can buy a bike. I mean, they're going to help anywhere, but you know, we definitely consider ourselves a Southern company. So awesome. Yeah. Man. I mean, really, yeah. Just trying to get our name out there as much as possible. Word of mouth is the biggest thing in this market. And so, you know, the more satisfied customers you have, the better, um, you know, that, that guy that literally, as we've been talking, that guy that, uh, that said he's going to come to the expo and just kind of, Test, uh, give a testimony of you know his experience with it because like you he's put this bike through the ringer and he just he just sent me a text today and was like hey do you still have two black bikes available I was like, okay <laughs> no. i mean it and, and the thing was he said he let his he let his um some other neighboring farmers ride on his bike for the day or two and they i'm telling you man these things are awesome and you can i don't have to sell you on them I mean, if I gave you a bike right now, you would never turn that down. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to be exciting things to come for sure. Man, that's awesome. And folks can find you. So on the website, lizamotors.com. Uh, also on Instagram, is that right? Yeah, we've got an Instagram page. If uh, if you want to check out some of the guys that purchase some stuff, and uh, hopefully everyone's going to start sending me pictures of their kills uh, when she's, 
But you, you've definitely been, like, if there was a, uh, if we were keeping count, you would be leading the pack right now with your kill out in uh, <laughs> Wisconsin this year. But, uh, like I said, the Kansas, the, the guy in Mississippi that went to Kansas, he shot something nice. But, I mean, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have held a candle to your buck. But uh, we'll start posting some stuff and starting a forum there. But we'll also have the rental bike site coming up pretty soon. It's in the final stages of the um, kind of the draft. But that should be up probably, I would think, in the next week or week or two, just so that we can get it out there before turkey season, but mainly before the rut. Because um, we're getting close in Alabama. Uh, we got about another four weeks, maybe three weeks, and then we're going to all be up to our necks in the rut. I was about to say, I, I think I know the public land you're probably going to be hitting uh, during the rut, so you're you're coming up on it, man. Yeah, we, we, really, we really kind of – hit our stride January. That's yeah. really when they start chasing big time. Yep. That for, for me hunting there, it was always like that week after Christmas and into that first week of yep. January was just on fire. Yeah. Christmas is always 70 degrees, kind of rainy. And then starting in January, usually either the second week or sometimes even the first week you get that first cold push and Man, it, it they they really it's almost like a switch because I mean it's it's that stark of a difference I and mean, then it's just like that's when I that's when I always try to get in the woods but uh, but yeah we're getting close to that but you know we really want really want before turkey season that's the big push for the rental bikes is to kind of get some exposure there because we mentioned it earlier like deer these things are great for deer right but turkeys turkeys man these things are a turkey's worst nightmare doesn't matter if it's wet windy anything you can hit every hilltop every bottom oh, yeah you can find a turkey like yep. it's just that's what i mean like with the turkey hunter guys you don't even need to sell them they're just like they're just like tell me the specs man and what colors do you offer and then that's it <laughs> and take my credit card yeah yeah <laughs> take, take the credit my... card and like you i just i need you to take it to the camp don't take it to my house that's take right if my wife sees it that's right yep. <laughs> in fact can you store it for me you just hold on to it uh, until I need to That's use right. it because I'll, it can't come home. I'll pick this up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool, man. Well, Hampton, thank you for coming on the show. I uh, I think folks got a lot of useful information out of this. And, guys, if you're listening and you're saying, hey, I want to learn a little bit more, reach out to Hampton or feel free to reach out to me as well. I'd love to tell you about my experience with Eliza Motors e-bike. So, Hampton, thanks for coming on, man. Have a good rest of your day. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at howtohuntdeer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, Deer Lab, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.